And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Excited to be joined today by Mike Fay. He's the CEO and co-founder of Island. They have a really cool uh, enterprise web browser we're going to talk about today. And before we get it started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of the Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Mike, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So before we get started, um, can you tell me a little bit about your background and you know, you've Created this company Island, which has raised a whole bunch of money over the last two or three years, and excited to learn all about that. But how did how did you get here? <laughs> so I'm I'm technical by trade. You know, I was I got a degree in engineering physics, uh, went into software development. Then I started working uh, with a vendor on the pre-sale side or system engineering. Um, worked my way up, uh, then switched over to McAfee, where I entered into cybersecurity for the first time. Um, Worked my way up there to be CTO and general manager uh, of the enterprise business, and then uh, president of Blue Code and president of Symantec along the way. But uh, about twenty years in cybersecurity, been based in the Dallas area for for the bulk of that. It's uh, where I met my co-founder was in cybersecurity, and kind of how we came to to get to this point, really. So what? So then, what led you to start Island? And I guess why don't you first tell us a little bit about what it is that you guys do? So. The most widely deployed application on the planet is the browser. And that makes sense. It services 5 billion consumers. But just like we don't go to our local furniture store and buy a kitchen table and call it a boardroom table, when we bring that consumer browser into the enterprise, we have to do all sorts of horrible things to it to make it comply, to make it behave, to make it deliver the value we want. So we end up treating it like a caged animal. And we saw the opportunity to build on top of the open source project that's powering all the major browsers now and build an enterprise centric one, one that doesn't integrate to content providers and advertisers, but to the enterprise and their needs, giving them control of that last mile. And when you do, you improve cybersecurity, you simplify your environment, you your actual ability to deliver for the business is much easier, much more cost effective. And you can deliver major productivity gains to the end user. So that's what an enterprise browser is. It's just a browser that's built on top of an open source project that feels exactly like your Chrome or Edge browser, but is rethought as to what the needs and demands of those enterprises or businesses are. So does that mean it still needs to run ActiveX and Adobe Flash? <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly enough, uh, what it means is if you have to run those, you can choose when and how. <laughs> so does it, does it, is that still a thing that you guys have to actually support? Is that even a You thing? know, we do have to support old versions of IE, like IE 7 through 11. And, and, and you, you feel for the companies you have to do that for because 
they built an internal application, let's say running a manufacturing plan or monitoring a, a heartbeat. Yeah. That app works. Yeah, it works. There was no reason to have to until upgrade it. somebody broke the browser. <laughs> exactly, until somebody broke the browser. So we give them the ability to stay on that old version and just make sure it only runs while it's working. That application connected uh -huh. to it. So you can. So you guys made features in your product to replicate IE7. Yes. Like it'll have the same behavior of CSS yeah. and JavaScript or whatever. Yeah, and, and Portland will do that going forward. So mm -hmm. these companies decide they upgrade when they need functionality, not when an alternate company tells them it's time. I, I joke about this because you know I've been doing this for I've been a software developer for over twenty years myself, and so you know I lived through the days of IE six. I made ActiveX <laughs> controls, like I did. I did all that shit. So yeah, um, you and I both. Actually, actually, one of the first jobs I ever had had to do with automating the web browser to build uh, bots for Ticketmaster to buy tickets from Ticketmaster. So it would actually control the browser and make it like refresh and buy tickets and stuff. So I, I was doing like browser automation. This was like over 20 years ago now. So it's funny. My first vendor engagement was working with a company called Mercury Interactive, which built automated testing tools for that and load balancing yeah. tools. Yeah. And I remember one time I actually used some of those tools to get tickets first on something. You know, I just automated the, the refresh button waiting for it to come free. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, and so you highlight one of the big problems for enterprises is the the browser are, the browsers are continuing to change. So things like, you know, there were companies that built a lot of stuff on Flash and then Flash died. Now that's been several years now. But um, now we have, uh, you know, other new new standards in the browser. It continues to change. And yeah, they may invest millions of dollars building this technology and it works just fine. And then all of a sudden the browser changes and it breaks. And you could almost liken this to just like the old green screen terminals, right? It's like the web browser is sort of like the green screen terminal of 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, you definitely can, but I, I, would, I would propose a slight evolution on that. I think it's more like the new operating system. Yeah. You know, because our developer peers are writing to that. They're not writing to Windows or Mac. You know, yes. they're writing to, to that. So what I like to point out is think about all the amazing tools you have for that PC platform or that Mac platform or whatever you're developing on. And now you go to the browser and you just have what an advertising company gave you. Yeah. You know, and so that shortage is really where the gap is. And that's the opportunity to add value back into that operating system to give control back to that enterprise. Um, and it and it's massive, the use cases. I mean, if we don't add 10 use cases a week at, at this company, it's a surprise. Like the customers bring us so many things we can do for them. So in modern browsers today across Safari, Chrome, Firefox, those are all Chromium browsers at this point, right? Uh Pretty much everything you said, but uh, but Safari. Safari is the lone standout, but you've got you know Chrome, Edge, Opera, Brave, and the list goes on and on. Is on that Chromium, you know, wonderful open source project. So Safari is its own slightly different. Safari is its own slightly different um, item, but obviously, you know, the Chromium open source project runs wonderfully on the various Mac properties. But we did have to do a little bit of work to get it to run on an iPhone, which we did. Well, and so that's some of your guys' struggle is, but then you still have to, so you guys use Chromium for everything, but then you have to emulate the other ones. Is that how you do it? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, we, we emulate Chromium on an iPhone, you know, and, and it's not really emulation. We just use a different toolkit, but you, okay. you get the picture. Yeah. Very cool. So, you know, I, you started this, it sounds like less than three years ago. 
right? And yeah. you guys have raised $285 million. <laughs> what in the hell do you do with $285 million? Well, you spend it carefully um, and you protect it uh, for starters. When and you found- don't, and you don't give it to. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. You you make sure oh, you diversify. You must be a customer. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> you diversify across important banks. Okay. Um, all right. Fine. Yeah. No. I I I, I wussed out on that one. Um, you know, when we started the company, our first round was 20 million in seed. Okay. And wow. that was a large seed round. But That's huge. It, what made it so so if you were large and the need for it, we knew from the start, we'd already validated the idea with around a hundred different CISOs and CIOs that, you know, when they heard it, they loved it. So we knew we had something and we also knew we had, it wasn't one of these startups where we would build a proof of concept and show the world it worked. Uh, we had to build the product that people be willing to use. This doesn't hide behind the scenes. Like you're going to be on it every day, all day. So if your first exposure to that browser was anything less than wonderful, then you're dead. So we had to find backers, which we found in Sequoia and CyberStarts, as as well as others that wanted to, but we chose those two that saw the big picture and willing to invest to that picture. Um, So like, you know, in development, when you're a startup, you know, nine times out of 10, they, you know, the one of the co-founders is technical and hires five or six, you know, developers and they go bang out, you know, the first attempt. We literally started hiring architects and vice presidents of development and the like, knowing we were going to build a full product from the get-go. It wasn't an attempt. It wasn't a try. And so we needed that to build essentially, you know, almost a hundred develop over a hundred developers now that are operating on this, this platform and building and expanding it. So that was the starting point for kind of thinking large. The TAM that we are interacting with is is hundreds of billions large, unlike a, a say a normal TAM that's a couple billion. So when you had this, you had to dream big and you had to find investors that saw the same thing you did. Um, then from that point on, every round's been preemptive. Uh, somebody's shown up who's seen what we're doing, has heard talk to invest, talk to customers, and they want to be a part of it. So it's allowed us to raise at a pretty high valuation. Uh, the last one was $1.3 billion. Um, and when you do that, you know, it, it's not a lot of dilution to take a significant amount of funding. Um, and we still have most of that war chest left, but, uh, you know, we spend what it takes on R&D to, to get it there. And we've grown our sales force to a significant size now. And now we're off creating a category at scale. So when you, so when you had the idea for this, you know, three years ago or so, was there, there's no competition on the market? Like nobody had built a browser like this? Yeah. So when my partner, co-founder Dan Amiga, he thought of it first because he founded a company called Fireglass that did remote browser isolation. So okay. what does that mean? Imagine clicking on a dangerous link and it runs on a computer far away. Oh. So all you get is images back. That's yes. what he did. And that was a Chromium browser running afar. He started to realize that that browser had, had evolved and could be matured enough that the same capabilities could run on your desktop and not have to have the latency and expense of the, right. of the distance. So we brought that idea of what if we change the way people do browsing and make it safer. And then as we you know, started to discuss that with, with him and, and uh, one of our founding team members, Brian Kenyon, we realized, wait a second, this is so much bigger. We can automate things for end users. We can change the way ITs deliver. We can give visibility and auditing and you know, security and all these wonderful things. So the idea evolved quickly into kind of that, that full path. Um, 
so it was a a process with Dan and I and Brian, but also brilliant CIOs and CISOs that expanded our own vision of what was possible. And so it was an iterative process for about a month. And then we went for our first bit of funding. And in two weeks, we had the various term sheets from it from a bunch of different wonderful, uh, nice VCs. Um, and then we started the company. Well, that's the amazing part to me is you guys were able to so it sounds like you guys, you, you had some background in this, even though it was kind of, we'll call it almost like a pivot from from what he was doing before, right? And so obviously that had to help you a lot when you went and met with Sequoia and these kinds of people. And obviously your background yeah. and your pedigree, like that, it's amazing that you were able to raise that amount of money in a seed stage. It did. And like you said, you know, we were the first people to think about this and discuss it. Um, we stayed in stealth a lot longer. Uh, than most startups because we felt we were onto something very unique. You know, there had been other ideas on how to make a more secure browser, other ideas about, you know, wrappering a browser and, and some different attempts like that. But we never saw anybody that said, you know what, I'm going to make my own browser. I'm going to make a browser that's better and more capable. And, you know, that just seemed like something you couldn't do. Uh, like we had our browsers, the choices were Microsoft, you know, Google and, and Mac, like that's just what you live with and you go for it. But really understanding that Chromium open source project, and and I got the motivation or the confidence to do that because I worked on the um, Kubernetes open source project. And I saw how much value other companies could derive, you know, building on those open source projects that I realized no one had actually capitalized on the open source project of Chromium and, and elevated it to, you know, additional outcomes. So while we were unique, I, I would say other attempts had been made, but they they were made with a singular focus. And unfortunately, if you want to get end users to use something, you have to court them. So we always see there's three things we have to do. We have to make it a better, more secure environment that's cost effective with a great ROI. We have to enable the business. So the CIO business users have to go, this is easier. We like this. I don't have to do VDI anymore. I don't have to do VPNs and all this other stuff. We can, we can deliver our product better. But then you got to make the end user like it. So you got to improve their productivity. You got to make their lives easier. If you do that, then you have the opportunity to be a new browser. So, you, so this helps from like a VPN perspective too, for like for remote work and yeah, big use case for us is that third party BYOD contractors, um, you name it. Uh, you bring up the browser; it can open up a direct connection to an internal application at a company, as well as of course SaaS applications. But most importantly, the browser is aware of everything you're entitled to and runs a set of policies based on the situation you're in. You're on a guest computer. We don't trust it. The network, it looks like it's riddled with malware. Okay, we're going to go read only or not at all. You're on a work computer that's inside that network. Okay, different profile, different capability. Now you're on that kind of hesitant phase where you're on your own device. Maybe it's an iPad. We don't have full control, but it looks like it's safe. What do we want to do then? We might do everything but redact PII or PCI data or, or the like. And so that flexibility is a big use case for us. We're, we're truly making self-IT viable. And, you know, BYOD has been kicked around a lot and it's interesting. We look at the younger companies right now, and I think self-IT is the big wave of here's your computer, get to work. And it better be simple. And there's nothing simpler than click on the link for a browser. Well, so is there any consumer play in this at all, or is this only to, to businesses? You know, there's definitely some consumer plays on kind of changing the way we think of browsers, but, you know, our mission is enterprise, and I think we want to stay focused on their needs. 
Google and, and Microsoft and crew do a phenomenal job of thinking of the, the, the consumer. We want to spend all day, every day thinking about the enterprise, the business. You know, what do you need? So what are what are some of the other use cases? I love the the VPN use cases. I think sure. it's a good one. You, I think you mentioned earlier, I see on your website here, virtual desktops. Like So people that are using um, Citrix and, and stuff like yeah. that, EDI. So do you have like a built-in like VDI viewer that's also part of this? So it's not really a web browser viewer. It's also a VDI viewer. So an immense amount of VDI has been used to deliver a containerized workspace. A, you're a call center agent and you work for a third party and I want to give you access to my application. It may be web-based, but in order to have control of the environment, to destroy the data, to guarantee you don't take the data, to guarantee access, I roll it out via uh, uh, Citrix and Amazon Workspaces, uh, you know, Azure Desktop, that kind of thing. That's the stuff we're getting rid of. You don't need to do that to have full control. So we've enabled entire call centers that are operating on who knows what machine, the company doesn't have to worry about it, where that worker comes in, double clicks on that company's browser because we make it their browser. It's not mm -hmm. an island browser. It's your company's browser. They click on that browser, they see all their entitlements, and they can share data between all of those. But if the company wishes, they can't take data out. And if the company wants to restrict access or change the way an application works, they have full control over that. So we can literally have an app that maybe presents to you all sorts of dangerous data, but then we redact that data, or we filter it, or we remove your ability to cut and paste or screenshot it or, or the like. And then in that call center, we'll go a step further. And we'll start auto-populating the data. So the call center worker that always has to ask you, you know, okay, tell me your address again. We could do a web services call and fill that in for them or do an API call and fill that in for them. So we're making, we're trying to help everybody in the stack. That presentation layer is so much more than a viewer now. As we mentioned before, it's the operating system. So we can ask a lot of it. We so just have down the creativity. So does that mean that developers could basically build kind of their own plugins that, that do that kind of stuff that run in it? A hundred percent. We built robotic process automation into it. So if you wanted to write something to do all sorts of crazy stuff, and we've seen it, we have one company that's putting a watermark, a QR code on every screen in case somebody pulls out their phone and takes a picture of it. And that QR code describes back to that company everything they wanted to know about that data theft. So if they find it out on the dark web, they will know what machine, who did it, what they did it, what else they had access to is all hidden in that compressed QR code. Um, we have another one that literally has modified the way an app works because they had so many issues with people mis making mistakes in the app. There was an update button and the update button really means update all. And the update all would cause a problem. It's a travel company and literally start canceling travel plans. They modified how that button works. And that button literally confirms with you, did you really mean to update all? And then you say, yes, that it'll come back with another message that says, this will impact 1000 travelers. Are you sure? So, that's wonderful things you can do. And if you think about it, so many apps are packaged. If you're a normal company, a packaged company, you know, Amazon's administrative console, Salesforce, th these aren't companies that are waiting for your advice on how to modify their app. Right. But you can go in and, and do that and modify that for your business need. Yeah, that's that's a pretty clever idea, being able to sort of hack around in other people's apps almost to yeah. change behaviors. Exactly. Like, like browser extensions can do, but browser extensions themselves are also a major security issue. They are. Which they are. I'm sure you don't allow random extensions by default because of that. So. so we don't allow them by default, but the user can turn them on. But just importantly, they can turn them on and say what they're going to do. 
this extension is for this application and it should only access these things so they can ring fence when and how it runs. The real challenge with an extension right now is once I put it in my browser, it's up to that extension's behavior and what happens next. And, and you know, that's fine for a consumer, but that thing that's recording your Call of Duty game might not be very good when you're looking at a patient's x-rays. And, you know, when do you draw the line and what should it be used for and shouldn't be used for? Now I can have control of that on your machine for my application, but control nothing else. So I let you use your device the way it should be used. Wait, it's time to come to work. You click on your work browser, you finish your day and there you shut it down. I love it. I, you know, as, as somebody who has worked around IT for a long time and had a lot of employees, I can see a lot of value and a lot of use cases for this. I do want to take a second to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and see what developers are available to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So what other, what other kind of challenges have you had you know, building, building this company? So over the last three years, you guys had this great idea. What, what kind of challenges ha- have, you, have you run into potentially? Yeah, you know, um, most startups think they're creating a category. Like everybody believes they're doing something that's never been done before. But in reality, most startups are a better mousetrap. There's an existing budget, an existing user community, an existing administrator that does that job and they can work and collaborate with on what does it take to do that job with our company. When we showed up as true category creation, we've got, you know, CIOs and Cisco and I love this. Who owns it? Who's going to run it? Like, what group do I put it in? And what budget do I, you know, fund it out of? Creating a category is hard. It is. And so we've had that category creation challenge that, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. You want to create a category because you can lead the category. You can define it, which creates amazing upside, but you have to put in a lot of groundwork to get it, you know, built. All right. We were very fortunate that the natural progression of this product is huge ROI. And so that creates the big, that solves the biggest problem, which is where do I get my funding from? Well, we'll save you money. You can decommission that Citrix environment. You don't have to do that web filtering. You don't need that VPN anymore, whatever it is. And so that can fund it. Then it's who's going to do it. And that debate is still raging. We see security teams do it. We see CIOs do it. It didn't work for a whole bunch of people. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, we like to think we'll make their lives better in the long run. But yeah, the short term, there's new work. So category creation is is one of the, the the biggest challenges. We've been very fortunate. Hiring has been, you know, we have we have a big deep bench of people that we've worked with over the years. So hiring's been a lot of been, you know, I want to say it easy, but we've been able to get great people uh, from our network without spending a lot of energy trying to find them. Um, but that comes from, you know, I probably worked with forty thousand people in cybersecurity, right? So, you know, you would hope you could find a hundred that you yeah. you really believe in. Um, over time, we'll have to, you know, get a little bit harder, but so that category creation is definitely the biggest challenge. And, you know, we found it this during COVID and, uh, you know, it, it created a different company. We look at the world differently. You know, we may have 10 people in the office here, but we don't do a team meeting in the, in the boardroom. We, we all go on zoom because yeah. there's three people that aren't here, you know? So I, I think we don't even realize all the challenges when we started selling, we've only been selling for a year. The economy was changing. So I get asked a lot, you know, what's it like selling the economy? This is all we know. It's, we've only sold into this. Right. You know, it's so. And it's a new category. I mean, you know, yeah. no metrics to really compare. Yeah. So we, you know, we like it. You know, I, I look forward to someday when somebody says it's easy, but it works. 
Well, I, mean, I guess your most of your customers are going to be like the Fortune, maybe not five hundred, but Fortune five thousand or whatever, right? Like you're really focused on the super super large enterprise accounts. We are engaged about half of Fortune one hundred, so we're very proud of that. But we have companies three hundred people big, five hundred people big. It, it, it's really a different buyer at the large end of town. They have things they've been grappling with, you know, third party access. One company's shipping 40,000 laptops a year. How do we get out of that? You know, to contractors, it takes me three months to get a contractor stood up, you know, okay, I can do it in an hour. Like they've got real problems that they can articulate and you go and you do a proof of concept against those. The smaller companies are kind of like that landline to 5g jump where I don't have any of this stuff. You're going to cross off a lot of lists for me. You're going to give me my DLP, my web filtering, my compliance and, and all of that stuff. So those companies are, those proof of concepts are a little different. They're more of an exploration. Let me click every button and see what you can do. Um, I believe this concept is as valuable mid-market and down as it is up, but our muscle memory is how to sell to the bigger companies, how to, how to do that. So well, that's where we started. So for these SMB customers, yeah. mid a lot, a lot of mid market customers. Would you say you're almost like a new form of like security in a box for them? It's like, hey, your 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 users spend ninety nine percent of the time in the web browser. Yeah, if you just use our web browser, it secures like ninety nine percent of your problem. I, that comes up in one hundred percent. You know, a, a young company today tells somebody, go out and buy your laptop, we'll reimburse you, or we order it for you. But after that, they're done. You just need a web browser, install Slack yeah. or whatever, you know. And so here's your login to Island. And when they get in there, they'll see all their entitlements and they're off and rocking. You know, they're using G Suite. They're using, uh, you know, online Office 365. They're, they're you know, hitting Figma. They're hitting, you know, all these web-based properties. So in that scenario, we literally are that in a box. And, and what people like about it is those are the same users that are as likely to be on their tablet as they are a home computer as they are their work laptop. And so we just follow them through that journey. So is is part of the challenge also been focus as far as like all these different use cases, different <laughs> kinds of customers, you know, talk about virtual desktop versus, you know, VPN and web filtering and plugins, like a lot of different things here, right? Over the last couple of years. I mean, is yeah. that is that part of the challenge as well as like trying to trying to stay focused on all of this? It things? is. You you can try to boil the ocean so fast because you see so many opportunities and we we finally built a bit of a methodology to keep us right, you know. Well, especially you have the funding too. Like you even have yeah. the funding. Yeah, I mean, we could sword. We could get nutty. Um, you make too many bets and none of them pays off because you didn't focus on one bet enough. A hundred percent. So you have to develop a really good listening system to the customers, right? Because that's what focus gives you is you you care about a couple things and you listen and you hear the response. When you make too many bets, it's noise. You get distracted. So we did that. So we really focused on last mile control and making sure that that was our that that well, that's the Legos we build with. So I'm going to build you the best Legos possible. I'm going to give you the most last mile control I can do, give you control of everything in that and make it with dexterity. Then if you decide to build a spaceship or a pyramid or whatever it is, it's not distracting to me because I focused on the Legos, not the not putting it together. So that was the other one. And then when we thought about what Legos we would build, which we call modules, where do we have architectural superiority compared to what's done today? So not, you know, I'll give you an example. Performance management's a great one. It is very easy if you're in the browser to tell how long something takes. Outside, the companies that do that are inserting code and doing all this crazy stuff to try to get round trip times. Meanwhile, we're sitting there with, you know, a, a, a little stopwatch going, yep, that's how long it took and here's everything we know. 
So we would build that part of the module, but what we want to do is try to build all the diagnostics of why we just pass that information back to the companies that do that, right? So that's what my last company did, by the way, was real user monitoring, observability, server performance tracking, all that kind of stuff. So Exactly. And you, and you probably found over time, the real value wasn't just seeing it. It was the correlation, the what what occurred and why. A lot of data. Yeah. So oh. we just get the data to those, to those vendors and let them be great at what they are. Um, so that's kind of kept us focused is what do we have an architectural advantage to do and focus on that and deliver that with, with an amazing outcome. Now, we have landed some very, very large companies, hundreds of thousands of users. They bring with it their own set of requirements and teachings daily. And that helps keep us grounded because what's in the way of their success. And we, uh, we over, you know, part of you talked about this large funding, we invest heavily to make sure they don't even whisper without us hearing what it is. We want to know everything in the way of their success. Well, and that's got to be part of the challenge is they also don't even know what to do with it, right? It's yeah. like this new toy that they have <laughs> and, and it's like they got a Ferrari, but they don't know how to drive a car, right? And they're like, what do I do with this thing? Um, uh, 100%. But, then they, but then they come back and they ask you, like, does it have Bluetooth? And you're like, it's a Ferrari. Of course it has Bluetooth. <laughs> you know, it's it's so true. But what often is more the case, they bring up, you know, if you just added this one feature, I could do all of this. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you're right. We probably need that feature. You know? which, is, which is great for you as long as you're like, well, is, are you going to buy like another thousand licenses? And let's <laughs> but if you need it for like Milton in the basement for the, no. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I will tell you that is the benefit of the, of the funding we have. It, you know, we just have to believe that it is universal, even if the paycheck isn't there at the moment. Right. Um, so we're constantly growing in engineering. And this is the first time in my career, because I've always worked at large companies that have a bit of an innovator's dilemma that, you know, you'd be six months, a year out in your, in your development stack, you know? So it's all about prioritization. What can I do if I agree to this? Well, we're bringing on 10 engineers a month or more. So we're like, okay, the next engineer that shows up works on this one. And, uh, you know, and, and the fact that the Chromium open source project itself is a very easily modular project to work on. We, we took our name Island and we actually in R and D created islands, small work groups, that can take on entire feature stacks independently. So we're always rolling out features and these, these guys can evolve very quickly. That allows us to listen to customers and usually most customer requests get back to them in under two weeks. Wow, that's very quick. Very. very. So, how, so has hiring developers been kind of a, this has been a great time for you probably over the last three to six months hiring developers with all the layoffs and all this stuff. I've been able to pick up a lot of great talent, I would imagine. Yeah, so our development is based on my co-founder in Tel Aviv, and the Tel Aviv market was incredibly hot, you know, a year or two ago, right? There's just seemed like a new startup every minute was occurring. We still were probably able to get a disproportionate share of great developers because what we were doing. Okay. You know, you, th you think about your developer, you know, you and I have been there. There's lots of stuff you can work on. Yeah. When somebody pitches you this really technical idea that's, you know, in the bowels of it, and you're like, okay, that sounds like fun. And then if somebody else says, hey, you want to build the next browser? Right, yeah. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yep. And, and so we've been able to kind of probably out punch our weight class on that, as well as I think we hired some really good leaders that can recruit. But, you know, for me, it's the same thing we do with sales reps. You know, we, uh, we do something I would have never done in my past. Most sales reps, when we're recording them, we say, you know, if we know we want them. Um, Bring us one customer, sit in on it, have one of your friends come to a meeting, 
And we let them sit on that demo, that pitch. And when they see that customer light up, they're ready because they've, they know what it takes to push down a wall and they, they haven't seen a customer get excited in a long time. You know, it's probably, I keep saying it's going to backfire someday. And we're going to lose some great candidate because we run into a grumpy customer, but uh, knock on wood to date, it's always worked out for us. It always helps seal the deal of that, that person joining. It's similar with the developers. We show them a demo and they're like, Ooh, what do I get to own that feature that set? And I can see my, see what I'm doing the day after I code it. it it's an interesting path, but you know, we also, you know, they have to know we're successful, that we're well run, that there's a future. Um, so I think that's where, you know, maybe Dan and I being a little older than most startup founders helps is, you know, this isn't our first rodeo. We know how to bring a product to market. And one of the things we heard from the best developers is how frustrated they were where they thought they built a great product, but the go to market never matched it. Yeah. Yep. And so we, we're very fortunate. We have a, a, a very strong go to market. So they see that and it, it helps convince them this is a place that they should apply their talent. So is your whole, your whole engineering team is in Israel? It is. It is. Okay. It's all uh, in a beautiful office complex right by the beach overlooking the ocean. It's a, every time I'm there, I think I want to stay, you know, we've got a surfboard <laughs> rack in the office, you know, it reminds me to go into the Philippines to see our team there. So <laughs> yeah, every time I see it, I'm like, wow, you live a better life. I'm staring at a parking garage. They're staring at the ocean, you know, yeah. what's going on here. So how, so you talk about the go-to-market strategy and, and that's a, that's a topic that we talk about on the podcast a lot is people sure. get so focused on the product. They never, they never spend enough time focusing on validating the product, taking it to market, how to sell it, you know, developing channels and all that stuff. So how, how do you guys sell this? Is it, is it picking up the phone? Is it going to trade shows? Like how, how do you sell to these big companies in it? Cause I spent 10 years trying to sell to <laughs> it and it's a terrible thing to do. So I'm curious, I'm curious, what's the trick you figured out selling that? It's IT? not for the faint of heart, as you, no. as you mentioned, you know, you don't just call up and they, they let you come in. They um, don't answer. They don't have phones, by the way. Yeah. You know, certainly not ones they answer, uh, at least not, not for vendors. Um, we have a traditional sales model. You know, you've got your rep, they get a patch, they start to chase that patch. The big difference though, of selling what we're doing in the space we're in, is unlike a CIO whose fundamental job is efficiency and enablement, right? And if it's working and they can make it more efficient, they're happy. A CISO's job is to beat the bad guy. And the innovation at the source of the bad guy is immense. So when the innovation is that high, they're compelled to stay on top of the industry. So CISOs naturally are willing to listen to startups and new ideas because they have to because they know their adversary is on the cutting edge and they have to be as well. So cybersecurity and startups have always had a nice interplay. Um, so we often start at that layer and then that layer introduces us to the business when they see value in it and say, this is something you should look at. So as a result, you know, we've been able to build up, you know, hundreds of million in pipe um, from, you know, we started with two reps at the beginning of the year, and now we've got uh, 20 and we're going to bring on a, a, another significant set. Um, and, uh, you know, for a first year category creator, it's a little, little unheard of to grow that fast, but the business is there and we can get the introductions. Um, we do do trade shows, we do do events, but we really want to target that C level. Because when you talk about swapping out browsers, when you talk about upgrading that end user experience, that's not a, an individual buried in the organization's function, right? That's a strategic decision. Yeah. So you need to start there. And if obviously, if that executive can't get passion, then you have nothing. Um, 
and, and so we always try to start there, which creates a little bit even more challenge, you know, that the adage of, you know, you have to call high. Well, yeah, we have to call the strategic, you know, thinker in the company. Um, there's usually four or five of them and you got to talk to each one. So what are some of the other uh, features and, you know, solutions that people use your product for? So M&A is an interesting one. We just bought this company and we want to get them on our email. We want to get them on Workday. We want to get them all the, all this stuff. How do we bring them in? We're able to bring up that time from, in you know, many cases, years of, of kind of languish to right away. Um, so we see that. There's a wonderful use case we call Say Yes. And it could be anything, but Say Yes is the item. Imagine working in a large company and you want to be innovative. We want to be on WeChat. We want to use Zoom, not Teams. We want to use this, we want, whatever it is. We can wrapper that and make that bulletproof. So we can, if you will, add the auditing functionality. You know, we, we've got some firms that don't allow LinkedIn because they can't record the messaging, you know, and they're regulatory bound to record all messaging. So we can let them use the latest and greatest and literally record behind the scenes of that. We have other companies that had such a restrictive environment for their corporate IP, you know, chemical companies, for instance, that it really was in the way of doing their job. And now we can open that up. So there's the IP protection as one. We have clean rooms for lawyers. Um, we find ourselves being very active in the healthcare. You know, doctors, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, I didn't, I didn't fully understand this till, till Island. Almost every doctor you deal with at a hospital is a contractor. So think about that patient confidentiality is owned and by the hospital, but every major employee is a contractor. You don't own their device. You can't tell them what to do. You know, how do you deliver that wonderful, you know, life-saving information? That evolved to and even the, teledocs. And the doctors don't want to deal with any of this technology bullshit, by the way. None of it. <laughs> None of it. And if you make them deal with too much, they'll work with another hospital. Please, right? please enter personal patient data in seven different systems. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. And then for that matter, wait, you, I can't send an x-ray to my friend to tell him what they think about it because you're going to tell me it's, you know, it's not healthy. Well, it's not healthy to get this wrong either. So, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm what, not going to send really their name. So nobody will ever know who the hell's x-ray it was anyways. It, exactly. So we, you know, we also got in the teledoc world, you know, we got, yeah. that was fun. And what was so cool about that is you had these brilliant startups where they were taking, you know, doctors and matching with patients and the expense they were going to have to incur just to make that confidential, just to have control over both ends of that conversation was ridiculous. And all of a sudden a browser does it for them. And those have been deals that move very fast because they realize it's a fundamental change to their business. Um, so that, and then, you know, BYOD is just a massive opportunity. Oh Yeah just so big and thanks to remote is definitely even more of the standard even more and you know that in, in what the definition of byod is you know it used to be byod meant i could get my email right and now i can work work for my email but now you're talking about their full stack and everything that company holds near and dear has to be deliverable over that platform really tricky um so it created a wonderful opportunity to rethink how that works and then BYOD evolved yet a step further at the most progressive companies where they're thinking about their world as almost layers. And they're saying, why do I want my average knowledge worker inside the network of my important data? If you don't need to be in my network, don't be here. Go direct. If you can spend all day on Salesforce and that's your job, great. Don't even come on my pipes. I don't want your risk, challenges, or expense on my environment. So BYOD went from enabling on a cool device 
to an alternate way to, 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 if you will, segment your company. And so we're seeing really aggressive security conscious companies embracing BYOD designs as a future security paradigm. Uh, very cool. Well, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people on the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up to our team of fully vetted, highly experienced software engineers. At FullScale, we specialize in building a long a long-term team that works only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. Well, Mike, this has been an awesome conversation, and I think it's incredible, you know, your background, your co-founders' experience with the problem, you know, you guys getting together and being able to go raise a ton of money and go build <laughs> a new category and a cool new product and all this. It's a super cool story, and kudos to you guys. Absolutely love it. Well, thank you so much for having us on. We love telling our story. Is there any other final tips you have out there for other entrepreneurs that are listening? You know, I, I would say that um, the biggest tip I can give people is, you know, just think of the problem in its full spectrum. It's not about a cool idea. It's not about a selling effort. It's not about a brand. It's the whole thing coming together. And innovation, what we found happened at the product. It happened in the go-to-market. It happened in the branding. All of those were opportunities to innovate. The way things were done, especially pre-COVID, are not as relevant as you think they are. So, you know, previous decisions, you know, you, you, we've seen lately, even where we store our money and how we manage our cash and how we go after our leads, it's all different. So, you know, be prepared to innovate on, on all of it. It, it. When I first started, you know, I assumed there was a way to do this. And we've since learned just, no, there's rethink it all. It's all available. Learn from the past, but, you know, be ready to innovate on all sides of your company. It'll pay you back. Well, awesome. Thank you, sir. And again, this was Mike Fay. That's F-E-Y. And their website, their uh, company's name is Island. And you can check them out. It's island.io. And um, very cool product. And I love you guys are solving real world, real world problems, like especially in enterprises and, and security and security is a big, big deal. So thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.